You're listening to the Diplomats Podcast on Asian geopolitics. As always, this is Ankit Panda, broadcasting from Washington, D.C. And I am your co-host, Katie Putz, coming to you from Hawaii. Still in Hawaii, huh, Katie? Just for, for one more day. Uh, by the time this airs, I'll be on a plane back, I suppose. All right. Well, we're definitely today not going to talk about Maritime Asia because we're going to return to a subject that we haven't talked about uh, in quite a while. And I think that's broadly symptomatic of uh, how the geopolitical salience of this particular country has declined substantially in the last couple of years. But by no means is Afghanistan uh, irrelevant today. So for listeners, we thought we thought we'd take this opportunity to come back a bit to talk about the state of uh, Afghanistan under the Taliban, of course. Uh, we're, we're having this conversation how long has it been now? Uh, certainly more than two years, about two and a half years since uh, the fall of the Taliban, um, uh, sorry, the fall mm-hmm. of the Afghan government and the uh, the, the U.S. withdrawal uh, and the subsequent um, decline in living standards and human rights uh, in Afghanistan. Uh, but there's a lot to talk about, Katie. Maybe the maybe the place to start uh, is to actually talk about what happened uh, in, in February 2024 when we're having this conversation uh, in Doha, uh, where there was supposed to be a U.N.-sponsored conference on Afghanistan uh, aiming to engage uh, with the Taliban, uh, but they didn't show up. So what happened there and what's the significance? Yeah, so, uh, you know, earlier this month, it was February 18th, 19th, there was this two-day meeting of regional and national special envoys for Afghanistan is convened by UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres uh, in Doha. Uh, you know, he at the at the conclusion, I'll jump to the end of this meeting because that's sort of the most interesting part. Uh, at the conclusion of this meeting, uh, Guterres essentially said, you know, there's consensus among the delegates over what needs to happen. You know, everybody's interested in an Afghanistan at peace, at peace with itself, at peace with its neighbors uh, and in, and, and, you know, sort of UN fashion, able to assume the commitments and the international obligations of a sovereign state, uh, you know, Essentially, in short, everybody wants a normal Afghanistan. Everybody wants an Afghanistan that behaves like a normal country in so much as any country behaves like a normal country. Um, but he also sort of noted that, you know, where everybody is stuck is on this sort of essential set of questions, which is namely can kind of be divided into the recognition issue on one hand, the recognition of the Taliban government or a government in Afghanistan, and then sort of international concerns on inclusivity, rights and security. Uh, the three of those tend to be sort of packaged together. They are sort of separate issues uh, on their own. The Taliban is very much focused on the former. They want recognition. Uh, the international community is very much focused on the latter. And never the twain shall meet seems to be the, the current state of affairs. Uh, as you as you said in the introduction, the Taliban did not come to this meeting. Uh, they were not, uh, the, essentially, Guterres said, you know, the group had set unacceptable in his words, preconditions. Uh, they didn't want other representatives of Afghan society uh, to be at this meeting. And the UN is very interested in having the full plethora of Afghan society included. And so that's another sort of major divergence. Uh, the Taliban wants to be the only Afghan voice in the room, wants to represent Afghanistan. There are a lot of other uh, Afghans, both in the international community, sort of the expat community and, and within Afghanistan who have different thoughts about how Afghanistan should be run. And so you have it's sort of breaking down on, on this fundamental question of who gets to represent Afghanistan. Um, I think one interesting observation and sort of parallel that has been drawn by some uh, Afghans was sort of looking at this Doha conference as like an attempt at another bond conference to sort of throw us all the way back in December 2001 in the wake of the sort of first fall of the Taliban 
uh, or the, the fall of the Taliban, since there's only been one so far, uh, there was this massive conference in Bonn, Germany, um, which did include select Afghan representatives, many of which uh, the criticism from Afghan society points out were involved in the country's really terrible civil war in the 1990s. And these guys were sort of led into the room as the representatives of Afghanistan. And that it's from that conference that we got the Afghan Republic um, that existed for 20 some years. And so this idea that the international community is trying to maneuver Afghanistan into a better place chafes uh, for, for some Afghans in particular. But on the other hand, the international community does have concerns with regard to Afghanistan, transnational concerns, whether we're talking about drugs or we're talking about terrorism. And so it's a very complex issue. Um, you know, uh, many of the articles about this Doha conference sort of pointed out as a failure. I think it's, it, it is a piece on a very long uh, train. Uh, you know, the, the results of those conversations might be important later on, but, but at some point the Taliban has to be in the room. Uh, we don't have to like them, but they are part of this conversation. And I think that's, that's a, a, has been pointed out as, as a fundamental sort of failure of this conference is we still can't get the Taliban in the room. Yeah. So I want to, I want to sort of zero in on, um, the Western approach here because, uh, you know, Western governments have been pretty uncompromising, uh, with, with good reason and justification to engage with the Taliban. I mean, on the basis of the rights issues, but then you have had the case from, um, Many, many people who have engaged with uh, Afghan civil society worked in human rights for a long time that, you know, there's ultimately a less bad option here that serves the needs of the Afghan people, which the UN, you know, I think found that uh, at least two thirds of Afghanistan's residents are in dire need of humanitarian aid. There's broadly been a um, a serious crisis of governance and just basic needs being met in the country, despite the also terrible situation, particularly for women and girls in Afghanistan. So do you see any signs that anything in the Western approach uh, might change? I mean, uh, the U.S., uh, European states uh, have been rather, again, um, I think we've broadly seen continuity in how they've chosen to handle this post-2021. What what could change this in your view? Um, you know, I, I don't know what the sort of trigger mechanism for the change would be, but I think one of the first things we would see is the reopening of embassies. Uh, so yeah. that is a fundamental question is, you know, is the United States going to reopen its embassy in Afghanistan or is it not? You know, after the uh, fall of Kabul in, in August 2021, only six countries uh, kept their embassies open. Those were China, Russia, Pakistan, Uzbekistan, Turkey and Iran. Uh, since then, uh, 10 more countries, uh, 11 more countries uh, have reopened embassies in Kabul. Uh, that said, only one of those embassies has an actual ambassador. All the rest are read by charged affairs or deputies or in the Indian case, a quote unquote technical team. Uh, China is the only country that has appointed an, an ambassador to Afghanistan. So I think to get back to your question, that would be the first sign of a shift in policy on the Western edge. You know, if you look at the list of countries that have reopened embassies, I don't believe any of them are in Europe. I could be wrong on that. I did not look at the full list of 17, uh, but I, I believe most of them are are not uh, quote unquote Western countries. And so that, you know, I think would be a sign of, of a shift. Um, you know, I think, and then this leads us into something I wanted to talk about, which was sort of the engagement and the recognition issue. Yeah. You know, I, I think I think recognition exists in this kind of realm of the undefinable. You know, it's in the eye of the beholder. So to, to go back to the, the China example, you know, China appointed ambassador to Afghanistan in September of 2023. And uh, about a month ago, 
a Taliban representative was, you know, among more than 300 foreign diplomats who lined up to present their credentials to Xi Jinping in Beijing. And so is that recognition? Uh, the uh, one of the Chinese foreign ministry spokesman was actually asked, you know, is this recognition? And he, of course, didn't really answer that directly. Um, you know, he said his response, I, I'm sort of amused by. Uh, he, he said, you asked whether China officially recognizes the Afghan interim government. I would like to say that China believes that Afghanistan should not be excluded from the international community. So is, is that recognition? Maybe. Uh, I, I think functionally it is. Uh, but what does that get anybody? Sort of the Chinese will kind of push this back on the West and say, you know, you have to figure out how to deal with this, uh, I think is the the gist of that. So, so far, we haven't seen much shift in the sort of Western position, again, because it comes back to those three issues, the, the security and terrorism issue, uh, the human rights issues, and then the inclusivity of the government issues. And those are things that the Taliban have not fully budged on, I, I think, on the inclusivity angle, nothing on the, the rights angle, nothing on the security angle. It's hard to tell, um, and and I certainly think Pakistan has has thoughts about about this. But you know, I think there there is this kind of dance between what one side wants and what the other side wants. And and like I said earlier, it's it seems right now that never the twain shall meet. Uh, but that I, I hope is not the future. Yeah, let's. Uh, I want to dig in a little more on on China because I think there's this fascinating. Um... In a way, continuity with with Beijing's sort of broader priorities uh, in Afghanistan, despite the substantial change in political, humanitarian, and economic circumstances. Uh, you know, China's interest in sort of Afghan lithium reserves, uh, natural resource extraction, uh, carrying out cooperation, uh, even though Beijing can no longer effectively free ride on some of the um, the Western security assistance that was being given to the uh, Afghan government prior to the Taliban takeover. So. Do you think, I mean, one sort of change mechanism, you know, this, this I mean, goes back to, I guess, the decades and decades of history with Afghanistan uh, being caught between the major powers. I mean, do you think we get to a point where part of the narrative maybe in Washington uh, or in parts of the West will be that, you know, the West is losing Afghanistan to China because, of course, mm. China's uh, opened an embassy. They have an ambassador. They're they're continuing sort of a range of activities in the country. Uh, or do you think, I mean, this is this is really going to sort of fly under the radar as it, as it seems to have been, uh, at least in D.C. for a while? Uh, so so what's your uh, what's your take on that? I, I think the most uh, I don't know if this is necessarily my view, but I think the sure. most cynical view you could kind of go with is is is, is a Washington, D.C. kind of going like, good, you can have it, um, you know, and, and, and like you said, sort of for for 20 years, trying to sort of free free road on the the NATO and the American security architecture in Afghanistan. Um, and so I imagine there are some who feel like, fine, have Afghanistan. We don't want it. Uh, I don't think that's my view. I do think it would be a problem. And I think we can kind of fit the, you know, we mentioned sort of the top and I mentioned in the, the last episode that sort of Afghanistan's geopolitical position has evolved uh, since the, the, the withdrawal. Uh, but it still has a salience, I think, within that larger, you know, West versus Russia, China dichotomy that we kind of see replicated in a lot of things. We see it in the Middle East. We see it in Ukraine. We see it in the South China Sea. We see we see we see almost layered over all of these things this kind of battle between you know autocracies and democracies. I think there are different words we can use to sort of separate these camps, but there's broadly these two camps that have have 
radically different views on how the world should be ordered. And I think Afghanistan can kind of get fit into that as another place where that 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 battle takes place. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, uh, that there's one of the great tragedies uh, in, in, in this um, is obviously, you know, the, the uh, Afghan people and, and the things that were achieved in Afghanistan over 20 years in terms of education, um, women's rights, women's position in society. Those are things that monumentally changed in 20 years in Afghanistan. So that's something that's being lost. And I think that that has to be co contemplated um, within this geopolitical question, which can get, as I said earlier, can get a little cynical. Yeah. Um, but that's <laughs> that's also the world we live in. So we have to we have to discuss it that way, too. Yeah. I mean, you know, we also talk a lot about political capital and bandwidth in Washington to actually think about different parts of the world. Right. I mean, we, yeah, we have this conversation when we talk about, you know, the South Pacific, the Korean Peninsula in this in this world today where, uh, you know, the Biden administration at least has its attentions uh, widely divided. And of course, the term Afghanistan continues to carry quite a bit of baggage in American politics, especially mm -hmm. in an election year. So I just don't see incentives for uh, any any anybody, I mean, at least in the United States, to really um, raise the salience uh, of, of Afghanistan in, in the short term. Um, maybe maybe we can close out by talking a bit about the security situation. Right. Because I think this has been a concern for uh, many of Afghanistan's direct uh, directly adjacent neighbors. You, you reference Pakistan where uh, certainly ties have declined uh, since the Taliban's takeover uh, and the Pakistani government's, um, or the previous Pakistani government's decision to uh, uh, move towards the expulsion, mass expulsion of millions of Afghan refugees, which again, uh, stoked further concerns there. What is what is your sense? I mean, you know, the, the theory of change that the West pursued for a couple decades in Afghanistan was effectively to ensure that the country's soil would never become a safe haven for um, terrorist groups with uh, extra regional aspirations, right? Al-Qaeda carrying mm -hmm. out attacks against the West primarily. Uh, looking at it through that lens, um, what is what is your what is your assessment of kind of where things stand today and, uh, and the ability of uh, the Taliban effectively to um, keep Afghanistan in a, in a way uh, sort of contained uh, as a security issue uh, in terms of the direct relevance it has for its neighbors, but less so for countries that are further away. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it it boils down to having to rely on the Taliban to do that. And I think they yeah. will continue to do that as long as it is in their interest to do so, which means that situation can change. Uh, what, I, what I mean by that is, you know, we saw the Taliban really go after, for example, the Islamic State, uh, ISKP, uh, in Afghanistan. Um, the Taliban has said that it has cut ties with al-Qaeda, I don't know whether we should believe them or not. That's that's not my my specific area of expertise, uh, but but it is my sense that that is more of a divorce of convenience than than a real one. Uh, maybe just a separation, not a full on divorce. And so I, I think if you think about it in in that framework, if it becomes convenient for the Af for for the Taliban to no longer sort of separate itself from Al Qaeda. Then, then the world might have a bigger problem. And I think that's kind of worrisome. You know, you have the, the Taliban um, has a good degree of security control, but I don't I don't think they have complete control at, at over the territory of the entire country, let alone its borders. Uh, you know, and you can see that on the Pakistan border when it comes to the, the, um, the TTP, um, when it comes to the border with Iran, there have been a lot of issues there. And so I, I think I don't think the Taliban have as complete a control as they would like to say that they do. And it's in between those those cracks that you can have these sort of 
transnational sort of terrorist groups that that find either people to recruit, places to train, and sort of the the stuff that we saw in in the late '90s that led up to 9/11. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think we shall see. Um, you know, there like we've mentioned before, there are lots of other crises in the world going on. So there's a lot of these sort of gaps. The Middle East is one in particular, is sort of a drawing force. But we have seen ISKP attacks in Turkey in particular. Um, uh, we've seen them in Pakistan, and so. The Taliban has not eliminated uh, the Islamic State in Afghanistan. That's pretty clear. Uh, and so that remains, a, I think, a salient issue. And, and it sits within that wider engagement and recognition um, concern because you can't really, it's hard to cooperate on security um, with a country that you don't have engagement with its government on, um, you know, let alone anything like information sharing or, or cooperation or collaboration on dealing with these groups. None of that seems in the realm of realm of, of reality right now. And so that that does create space for concern. Right. All right, Katie. Well, um, you know, I think I think the old saying in some circles is that uh, the world forgets Afghanistan at its own peril. And I, I think it's good that we're not making that mistake, at least on this podcast, uh, even though it's been a while since we've talked about Afghanistan. So I really want to thank you for, of course, your, your insights as usual. Uh, and I'm sure we'll be back to uh, revisit Afghanistan in the future. Absolutely. All right. For uh, listeners, uh, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up with future episodes of the show. Uh, and as always, if you like what you heard, make sure you leave us a review. You can do that really anywhere you get your podcast. We really do appreciate that. Uh, and as always, do feel free to reach out to either myself or Katie with uh, any feedback about the show. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll be back soon with more.